You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Grisov here. We're live recording with 2018 NLC fellow Wes Hamid is here. Can't wait to have another live recording. Always my favorite deep here in the beautiful Delray. Let's get to it. All right, sir. Thanks for coming to my home and podcasting. And thanks for being a gracious guest by consoling me about my hometown, Houston Rockets. Yeah, that was a yeah, that was the first question I asked was just condolences for a tough game seven loss. Yeah, I'm still not doing well. So I'm glad you're not from Oakland and can rub it in. But Oh uh, no, trust me, I, I dislike the team as much as anyone else from Houston. Okay. So that's good. Well there's something magical about missing twenty seven straight anything. So I'll I'll take it that will forever be it's a one for the books. A historical team. But I think what will also be historical is this Saturday, June second, building our movement is here. It's a Since fantastic segue. Yeah, by the thank way. you very much. Give us a little bit of the scoop. We've talked on other episodes about the date and location so people know June 2nd, self-help graphics in East L.A., uh, but some stuff has come into light about the actual program once people get there. So give us what's on the on the docket for once people show up. Yeah, just, of course, just to remind everybody, what I'm discussing is the Building Our Movement, a night with NLC Los Angeles. That's the name of the event. It's June 2nd at 7 p.m. at Self-Help Graphics in Boyle Heights. Um, and we actually now can, I have the pleasure of announcing the actual speaker to the event. It's council member, council member, Marquise Harris Dawson, who represents the eighth district in LA, which includes Baldwin Hills, West Adams, Crenshaw, and other parts of the Western South Los Angeles. And he will be our guest speaker for the night. And was there any reason you guys felt as a fellows class, you'd be the right one to speak at this event? Yeah, well, I mean, his work in city council is really representing the kinds of interests that NLC likes to push. He's a big supporter of equity issues such as homeless, uh, addressing homelessness, jobs, clean streets, uh, community policing, things like that that we really support. In addition, I think several NLC fellows this year have really taken a liking to a lot of what he says and really representing sort of the interests that we that we enjoy. Nice. And then anyone else on the program as well? Yeah. So in addition to the speaker, we also have an honoree. Uh, the honoree is Yamilex Rustrian, who is a uh, young advocate and organizer who uh, has dedicated herself to ensuring the rights and humanities of people of color, women, uh, members of the LGBTQ community, uh, Latinx people specifically, uh, it, you know, but immigrant immigrants in general. Uh, she was one of the key organizers for the Children Above, Above Politics, which is a fast that served as a call to action to and secured donations for the basic needs of Central American children turning themselves in at the border and fleeing violence. And so she's, I think, currently in college now. She's a very unapologetic speaker, very passionate, something that we all enjoy. And we have the pleasure of honoring her at the night. So uh, the people who attend the, the events will have the benefit of hearing both of them speak. Yeah. And I think it'll be really nice. And then people ask me this a lot. So uh, give me the time frame on the event again. What time does it start? What time does it end? So it starts at 7 p.m. And I believe the event ends at 10. And the best guess on when the speakers will probably give their remarks I would say starting 7.30 is when the actual runtime will begin. I think prior to that, it'll just be allowing people to come in, maybe get some drinks. We'll try to think we're in the process of coming up with some fun, progressive names for mixed drinks, things like that. 
and um, and the event will be going on until about 10. The actual speaking will be for the first, I would say, hour, hour and a half. The remainder of the time will just be an opportunity for people to mix, mingle, and conversate amongst other progressives in Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, tell me a little bit about the fellow's experience. What did you expect to happen and what actually happened? Well, to be honest, I had no, very little expectations prior. Uh, I, first off, was very surprised I got in. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still surprised. In fact, it's actually a running gag amongst, uh, amongst our group that I'm not even sure I got in. I think I'm still pushing <laughs> for that NLC night 2019. So I think we started a hashtag for that. But uh, but no, so I, I came in with completely open expectations, not sure what was going to happen. First, on the first uh, first meeting, we had the ELP, which was the Entrepreneurial Life Planning, where we actually had to sit down and discuss where we want to see ourselves in five years. And as soon as I sat down and took a pen and paper and was ready to start, I realized... I had not actually done that before, <laughs> so I, I that was an incredibly just nerve-wracking experience, but it was actually able to do that, and, and another thing that we had to do, which was really led by some fantastic speakers, was basically talk about our life story and what brought us to LA, what brought us to this kind of space, and sort of what, what our lives were about, and I think starting the weekend the whole experience off of that was really a good way for us to get to know each other and really break down those walls and those barriers. And so that was a very enriching experience for me. And it was also a way for me to actually be able to open up to people that quickly, which I'm normally not a very, I'm a very guarded person for the okay. most part. Um, and so so that was the first, and that was just the first weekend. <laughs> so that's five more. That's yes. Uh, in addition, the NLC experience, you know, they really allow us to develop tools to um, push forward with certain progressive causes. We learned about outreach, fundraising, communications, especially new new communications like Twitter, Facebook, social media, and learning how to fundraise because I, I had done you know, my past work and past experiences, I got a little bit of experience with it, but this was before the advent of social media. Mm. So just seeing how much that would change it was, was big for me. And then you don't necessarily have a point of comparison because you've only been in one fellows class, but for these last six months, how much or how little has the specter of the times are in the Trump presidency, uh, the resistance, how much did that inform conversations, not inform conversations? How did that, factor into the room itself. I think it was, whether it was directly spoken to or just indirectly, I think the presence was always there. I think as people of color who were, and just marginalized communities, uh, as we're having these discussions about being members of marginalized communities, it's, it's difficult to, to have these discussions without realizing that, you know, the certain administration that's currently uh, with us is, pushing us farther into the margins. So it's like, it's the ability to become unapologetic with, with who you are. And I think that that actually does set the tone for the NLC class and the NSL, NLC people, because I mean, I, I, speaking for myself, I've developed into a more unapologetic person of color. Uh, and that came from just living that kind of experience in the sort of 
post 9-11, post Trump, post all of that about what it means to be a, specifically a Muslim in, in, in the U.S., where it's just like, you know, prior I was someone that was really carefully guarded and, and showing people who, you know, who I am to now where it's like, well, you know, if, if I don't push for that, it'll fall into, I'll, you know, uh, the people will be kind of forgotten. So it's just, it's a matter of becoming a lot more unapologetic. And when you're surrounded by a group of people who are equally very proud of, of who they are and who they become and, and things like that, it's, it definitely sets the tone for everybody. Yeah. When we come back, we'll ask some more questions about the fellow's experience and talk a little bit about faith as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Zen. Yeah, I'm glad you, glad you brought up your, your your faith. I think that's been an interesting thing to watch over my experience with NLC. And I have was a fellow in 2010 and, and been involved with the classes ever since. Um and how faith, I think, is one of the identities that doesn't come up as much in the fellows group. And it's not necessarily something that rises to the top for us as a frequently discussed thing in the applicant or interview process. Um, so I'm always curious when there are people who identify uh, moderately strongly with their faith in the group. I think it's super important. Um, you know, did that come up frequently in the weekends itself? Or, you know, you mentioned some of the re-evaluations you had after that first weekend and some of the things you just mentioned now. Where do you feel like? Being a progressive and being a person of faith, how does that factor into your life on a day-to-day basis now? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, my faith has been utilized within my progressive identity. Um, it's it's very easy for me to do that because being a Muslim in America, you're, you have to inherently identify, not necessarily with being progressive, but with the, um, in terms of the spectrum, because my faith is politicized. Mm-hmm. My faith is something that, is discussed at CNN and all of these other entities. We had, you know, a current president who wanted to have a Muslim ban and who enacted a ban that was essentially a Muslim ban. And the reliance, you know, the reliance that Muslims essentially started to have on other people of color and other marginalized communities to rally. And in addition, of course, other allies that were willing to make that support too, whether or not, for me, example, for me in particular, I'm, so I'm an Afghan American. And for me, both being a member of a displaced community, uh, I'm a child of refugees. Um, my identity, the way I look and the way I practice my faith and things like that is inherently, unfortunately, at, th- at this point, unfortunately, it is politicized. So rather than being apologetic about it, rather than hiding it and things like that, I've, I'm trying to develop and trying to get better at, at treating it as, as though I can send a message to my community and just sending a message to the space that I'm in now that like, Hey, I am Muslim. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not trying to hide it. Uh, of, of course I will never put it on other people, but it's, it's a part of my identity and it's just who I am. So, um, it's, it definitely forms, just my my own presence and my own well-being in addition to you know I the way I practice my faith is is it's inherently progressive because the Muslim experience here in the US is both it's a 
it's an immigrant experience for many people. It's a black experience for many people because there are a lot of black Americans who are Muslim as well. It's a, you know, it's a feminist identity because of, of course the, you know, plenty of, of activists who identify as Muslim as well, uh, feminist activists in particular. So all of these really solid progressive camps within them have, um, you know, there's, there's a Muslim population within it. So, so then when you look at politicians or political parties or even political issues that you want to support, I guess maybe starting with the first part, when you look at politicians, what, based on all the different identities that are kind of wrapped up in, in your personal experience, what do you look for? When does a politician really speak to you? When do you get really excited? What are you listening for? Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly politicians who are willing to make themselves uncomfortable, make themselves, put themselves in environments that I would appreciate and respect. Um, politicians who are also equally unapologetic and who are the kind of people that will, you know, stick to progressive causes and, and are willing to stick their neck out for other people. I think I, I do enjoy when I see, especially politicians who local politicians, things like that, who will go to mosques, who will go to synagogues, who will go to wherever they are without worry of, of upsetting some mainstream base. It, I use it in air quotes that sees, you know, identifying or supporting Muslim causes as something that should be wary about because for a lot of, for unfortunate, for an unfortunate amount of people, um, being Muslim and being American is not congruent. It's something that's clashing when in fact there are millions of Muslims within this country who are, who um, identify as Americans who want to push for, for social change within the American identity. So just seeing politicians who have that ability to speak out on those issues, who are willing to stand up for noble causes and willing to, to do so, I think is something that's always inspiring to me. And when you think of your own experience with your family, what are some of the traditions that bring you the most uh, joy when you think about in the, the past? How do you guys bond around, around so, faith? So you, you, again, with the fantastic uh, segues, I will actually demonstrate one of those with you if you would partake with me. Oh, yeah, let's do it. So, I will narrate as well as we do. <laughs> uh, I'll try to do so as well. So as some of you may know, um, we are currently in the month of Ramadan. And in Ramadan, uh, Muslims uh, fast, meaning they abstain from um, food or water during daylight hours. So we are approaching uh, sunset right now. So I will break my fast along with Eric. So nice. I have with me the traditional Muslim uh, food to break fast, which is a date. Have you had a date before? It's been a while, but I have. Yeah. Okay. Careful, because these do have the pits with them. So, yeah. so I'm going to hand Answer. hand one over to Eric. I'm going to take one as well. So before I eat, um, what we do and. I'll do silently to myself is um, just say a little prayer just to, you know, acknowledge the fast and seek uh, God's, you know, acceptance of my prayer and my fast. So I will kind of be quiet for the next 
three to five seconds. It's not going to be too long, but then I'll enjoy the state. Um, and hopefully you, you do as well. Ready? And now I'm going to do something that is usually not optimal for audio purposes, but <laughs> I think you'll be okay with it. I hope the viewers are too, is I'm going to eat while, while we chat for a little bit. Yeah. It's casual here today. <laughs> so question though, do you know why Muslims eat dates oh, during Ramadan? I should know this. this I'm testing you. This is a quiz, by the yeah, way. Yeah. And I have a master's in theological studies, which is not coming in handy. <laughs> um, so no, I don't, I don't remember why dates are significant. So, at the time of the prophet, it's uh, Prophet Muhammad. Um, they eat dates because it it's actually more of a you know it's it's a it's a practical reason. It's sugar. It's the idea is that eating a date will give you enough sugar that you've been depleted for the last several you know for the last dozen hours. In addition, it's fiber, which is another thing that you're missing out on prior. That's true. So, and it's fruit. So, it's you know. It's not too, uh, it's, it's, it'll, um, it's still good for you. Yeah, exactly. Although admittedly there are times where when I don't have, um, when I don't have a date handy, I'll grab chocolate or I'll grab something like that. Just whatever is. Do you want to, do you want to go have these on this one? It's all yours. Go for it. It's funny we were talking about the rockets when we started. I feel like my childhood introduction to Ramadan was through Houston Rockets legendary center Hakeem Olajuwon. Oh my god. Who, of course, you know, you're in the middle of Ramadan uh, and also in the middle of the playoffs and a lot of these playoff runs coincided with with uh, you know him not having any water or food until the game right. started. Sometimes even after the game would start, depending on the, the actual time. Uh, which I always think he should deserve some sort of like extra asterisk or extra yeah. points when you start the game if you have not had food or water before tip-off. No, and it's funny because I I remember when I was a kid, that was like the thing, right? Because when I was fasting while I was in high school or things like that, I would go to PE mm. thinking, whatever, Hakeem Olajuwon was fasting <laughs> while, he was, while he was playing He's NBA games. The NBA I could do the same thing. Yeah. And man, is that not easy. <laughs> Especially if you have PE in the morning, you got the rest of the day, you're feeling lightheaded, feeling woozy. But no, he would practice while fasting. Apparently his, his numbers, he was... Oh, there's a strong... Strong correlation that Faith was with him as he was dominating David Robinson and everybody else. Um, going back to that question, because it was sort of half-joking and giving me that segue to talk about uh, what you just talked about, but also going back to your family, what kind of traditions do you remember fondly around this time of year growing up with your with your folks? I mean, most, uh, Islam is a very community-oriented religion. And I think one of the things that I enjoy most, especially when it comes to Ramadan, is that it allows you to recheck in with yourself recheck in with your family um, because everyone has to eat at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Every, there's no way you, there's no way around it. You can't avoid, you know, it's, it's actually meant to that you have to eat during sundown. So, you know, uh, this past weekend I was, I broke fast with my extended relatives, which I see usually like once every few months lately, unfortunately, the reality is, so having something like Ramadan where you have that obligation that force, not necessarily forces, but that gets you to recheck in with your family. So ever since I was a kid, we would, that was the best opportunity that you had to have everyone sitting around the dinner table eating. Um, in addition, uh, we would go to something, what they call tar tarawe prayers, tataway, which is 
uh, recitation of the Quran that you would go to a local mosque. And so while I haven't had the opportunity to go too often this time around, uh, I do intend to do so uh, as the month progresses, especially towards the end of the month, because the last few, the last, I believe, 10 days of Ramadan are, you know, they are, they're seen as very holy days. So I will definitely go check that out. Um, in addition, it, it allows me to recheck in with other people in my life that I might not have kept up with, you know, hosting iftar, the breaking your fast is yeah. called iftar, um, or the dinner, just having that opportunity to meet up with ever with people that you haven't seen in a little while, calling my parents a little bit more, which I, you know, it allows me to do check in with my sister, other family, things like that. Uh, and yeah, when I was a kid, we would, that would be the opportunity that I would go to my uncle's house, go to, go to some nearby relatives, mm-hmm. things like that, which was always nice. Nice. Well, it's also great having you here. And Delray, thanks for breaking your fast live on the air with us for posterity. We appreciate it. No problem. Look forward to seeing you on June 2nd. Look forward to seeing all of you faithful listeners of the Zag on June 2nd as well. Building our movement self-help graphics in East LA from 7 to 10. Tickets still available. la.newleaderscouncil.org. You can get them all there. Until then, new episodes of The Zag coming soon later this week. We'll talk to you then.